Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Dave Leventhal with us this hour. We thank Dave for giving us the time. And Dave, we're supposed to be, well, I'm supposed to be in Atlanta right now, but we're here, and I guess we'll, uh, we'll make the most of it. Well, you know, like, like a lot of Bill fans, I, I, I think we're all still in our, uh, you know, three-week period of mourning here, gnashing our teeth and carrying our Bills jerseys. So it's, uh, it's, it's not a fun Sunday for, uh, for, for so many, but... You know, like every season, we, we find a way to persist and move forward and move on, and there's always next year. Yeah, and you know, the Sabres uh, lost last night but got a point in overtime. For your Syracuse Orange, not the best day yesterday, but, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move past that. It seems that when uh, Virginia Tech and Syracuse play each other, they just can't play well on the road. They play great at home. <laughs> yeah, not, 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 a, not a great day for the Orange faithful. But, hey, seven out of eight points for the Sabres on, on a – you know, in a way stretch, that's, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people would uh, never expect that. Uh, but yet, here we are with that as well. You know, I can't go back on what I said at the beginning of the year. I said if the Sabres are still in playoff discussion going into February, I'll be happy. So I can't not be unhappy now because they're doing exactly what I asked for so many months ago. Hey, happy, like one up into ecstatic. I mean, it's great. It sure is. And you know what else is great, Dave? Uh, following all the stuff going on in D.C. I'm sure you can agree. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, for, for us who get, get paid to actually track all these things and pay attention to it and talk about it and write about it, sure. But I, I think there are a lot of Americans all across the country who are just exasperated by the way that the, the, the government is working or, for that matter, not working right now. And, yeah, there's a little bit to talk about. There is. And, and starting with drama, there is a lot of drama in D.C., starting with uh, classified documents, Dave. It seems like this is something we've talked about for months now. You've got the former president in his classified documents, the current president in his do- uh, classified documents, the former VP in his classified documents. Dave, what's going on? There was a really funny article in The Onion Joe, the parody newspaper, and it, it, it talked about uh, putting a drop box outside of the National Archives that would welcome any former president or former vice president to, to come and just anonymously drop any classified documents that they might have just still hanging out in their garage or stuck in a file cabinet somewhere. A lot of people got a good laugh out of it, but it's a pretty serious situation where we now have Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and Mike Pence all having discovered or their lawyers discovering that there were classified documents still in their possession from times past. So 
basically now we're, we're having a situation where other former chief executives and top-ranking executive officials are also scouring to see if they, too, have had documents that should not be in their possession. I, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, all right, what, what actually is the big deal here? Well, number one, and most basically, it's the law that they should not have these documents. So the, the, the law is the law. If you want to abide by the law, if you, you want to operate uh, in, in the legal parameters that have been set up in this nation of laws, then none of the folks that we just mentioned should have these documents still in their own personal possession, and they should be in the possession of the National Archives and the federal government where, where, where that material should have been disgorged to when they left office. So they're different situations. I think we can argue uh, is one more serious than another, but I, I think it's fair to say that they're all serious in their own right uh, at, at an important level because uh, that this just never should have happened, Joe, in the first place. Now, we know of the investigation into former President Trump. We know that there's a uh, investigation into current President Biden when it comes to these classified documents. Has anything been announced when it comes to the former vice president, Mike Pence, in his classified documents? What move is the uh, Department of Justice making? Yeah, so it's still a little bit early, and this has uh, just happened in the past uh, couple of days here, but it, it appears that uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, who I should note is considering himself a run for the presidency in 2024, Mike Pence appears to be cooperating with uh, any investigation that's taking place and uh, is going to be working with federal officials to get the documents, any documents in his possession that he already knows about or that he still yet has to find and get them into the hands of the National Archives. So that's a little bit more of a developing situation than those that are facing Joe Biden, who keeps finding documents in his Delaware home and his personal possession, or Donald Trump, who, of course, several months back had the situation in his Mar-a-Lago home in Florida. And, uh, you know, the big questions with Donald Trump was, did he willfully take those documents? Did he willfully prevent federal officials from getting access to those documents once he knew that he had them? And, and were they left in uh, an unsecured area where other people who weren't Donald Trump could have had access to them. The same question is being asked about Joe Biden with the documents that were apparently sitting in his garage near his Corvette in the state of Delaware. So none of this is uh, is reflecting particularly well on any of the uh, former executives here. Well, Dave, I, I said this last time and I'll say it again. I'm sure that's not the last time we'll talk about documents. It, it seems to be taking over. You know, it, it's the one thing that the three major cable news networks are all talking about. They've, they've at least come together to talk about classified documents. I mean, there, there's very few things, you know, that we can rally around as a country where, where the left and the right can agree, but apparently the attention paid to this is there. And, you know, we haven't heard about uh, George W. Bush or Al Gore or Bill Clinton or even Jimmy Carter too much, but and I have nothing to go on this, but let's let's go out on a little bit of a limb here to say that I wouldn't be shocked if Mike Pence is the last top executive, government executive that, that we've heard from. And, and also, too, it, it should be noted, too, that, that there are other government officials that could be privy to classified documents, and, and those might be people who had served in Congress or otherwise. And this is going to be something, too, that in, in their own archives that – they may be paying a, a little bit of attention to as well. And, and don't forget Dan Quell's out there too, Dave. 
Who could forget Dan Quayle, except <laughs> just about everyone? Now, speaking <laughs> speaking of drama, Congress is full of drama, and usually I end here, but let's start here because we've been talking about documents just as long as we've been talking about Congressman George Santos. Where do we stand on the Santos saga this week? We, we stand rocking as a nation like a drunken sailor on George Santos. It seems like every day there's a new twist or turn or upheaval. And here's what we know. We, we know that he is a serial fabricator, a serial liar, that he has lied about numerous aspects of his life, personally, professionally, politically. And, and we're to a point right now where Many Republicans are doing everything that they possibly can to distance themselves from him. And he continues to press forward saying, oh, I'm going to represent my constituents. Well, how do you represent your constituents when many of your own constituents are saying, well, hey, we just elected you on completely false pretenses. And this is terrible. We, we expected better from you. So there are multiple potential investigations that may be going on, one that has really bubbled up uh, and, and caught fire in the past couple of days is what appear to be numerous, numerous fabrications in his campaign finance reports in terms of where he was getting his money from, how he was spending his money. And the Department of Justice appears to be investigating, which is quite notable because usually it's not the Department of Justice that investigates such matters. It's the Federal Election Commission, which is a bipartisan civil independent government agency that doesn't have, you know, its own police force, but nevertheless looks into these matters. Well, it's, the, the ante has been upped in a major, major way. And again, that's just uh, one of the many problems he has uh, going forward. And another one is an investigation internally within Congress. And we can get into this, but there, there's a lot of trouble ahead for, for George Santos in this regard. Yeah, you know, we had um, Congressman Nick Langworthy, who's also the New York State GOP chair, uh, say right. that you know he's calling for George Santos to step down. It, it seems like those calls are coming within the party. But if I understand correctly, the only way he can be removed is if Governor Kathy Hochul steps in. Is that correct? Well, there, there's probably one of three ways where, where this could go in, in all likelihood. And the first way is that nothing is going to happen, that he could stay in place and that he could continue to serve and we'll have an election in a little less than two years' time, and his constituents and downstate can either choose to elect him or not elect him for another term if he ultimately chooses to run again. And he, he could potentially pull a Madison Cawthorn, if you remember the representative from North Carolina who famously flamed out in a, in a series of you know, lies and, and various other troubles, and, and just not run again. So that's one option. Another option, too, is that there is going to be a process going forward in the House Ethics Committee to investigate whether he has done things that are either illegal or, or unethical to a point where the House itself could punish him and it could reprimand him. It could censure him. And even in extreme cases, this part of the U.S. House has the ability to recommend to the full House removal of one of its own members. It's exceedingly rare. I think the last time it happened was, if you remember, Representative Jim Traficant, a Democrat from Ohio. That, that happened about two decades ago. But absent that, uh, you know, that's, uh, th those are the options that the House Ethics Committee has. And then, you know, the third option is, is that he could decide to resign himself and, and just volunteer to step 
away. There is no provision in congressional or at the congressional level, like there are in some states, for there to be a recall election. I mean, we've seen recall elections and different states at different levels of local and state government, but that is not applicable here to this situation, or for that matter, Joe, any situation involving a member of Congress. So if you think that's an option, uh, for better or for worse, it is not. And, uh, and, and those are really kind of the three paths here that are likely to happen for George Santos. And sticking with Congress, we uh, saw Speaker Kevin McCarthy um, hold firm on his promise of not allowing certain members on certain committees and uh, the backlash of that this week. Yeah, if you're Adam Schiff or Eric Swalwell, a couple of Democrats and uh, Democrats in general, you're, you're probably grumbling quite a bit. Uh, there, there's definitely been that backlash that has happened from Kevin McCarthy toward Democrats. And he's basically saying, hey, we can't trust you guys to take care of the duties that come with the responsibility of, of sitting on key committees that deal with a lot of sensitive information. And, and this is very much a sort of a counterpoint to what happened with Democrats last congressional session when, for example, they said, ah, Marjorie Taylor Greene, nope, <laughs> you're, you're not getting on some committees. So there's a, if somebody says, well, it seems like politics are being played here, you, you would be right. And, and that's going to be something I think that we see more of for the foreseeable future, where if one side takes an action that is particularly unpalatable to the other side, then, well, when the other party comes into power, the, the stakes are going to be a little bit higher and the, the punishments or the retribution or the reprisal, if you will, is also going to be a little bit higher than if we were having this conversation uh, even five or 10 years ago, Joe. And Adam Schiff took that uh, momentum and announced that he is running for Senate. Now, does that mean he can no longer run for he will not be running for Congress? Is that what that means? At least at this point, unless he changed his mind again and was to switch back to run for the House by the deadline that he had to apply for. But this is all coming with the backdrop of Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has been there for about three decades in the Senate. She's 89 years old, has been widely reported, including by people I've worked with, uh, that, uh, that she is really struggling with just some of the basic duties of her job, not remembering what she's voting on uh, and, and sounding quite confused in, in interviews. Uh, Matt Laszlo, one of my colleagues at Raw Story, had a big story just a couple of days ago where he interviewed Dianne Feinstein and asked the senator, are you going to run for re-election again? What is your plan? And she told us that she's not going to make a decision until 2024, months away while at the same time Adam Schiff and a couple Adam Schiff and a couple of others have already said that they are going to run in a democratic primary for that seat ostensibly setting up a huge huge primary fight within the Democratic Party if Diane Feinstein again runs for re-election so huge amount of drama there major 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 stakes in in a state that you know when you're a senator there you represent more people than a senator from any other state just because of the population of the state of California. And running for Adam Schiff's seat, you know, as a, as a kid from the 90s, Dave, seeing Corey Matthews run for Congress is probably going to be the highlight of uh, of my politics going into 2024. It's funny. It, it's, it's not like any celebrities or any TV personalities ever run for political office, Joe. So it's such a shocker now. It, it's a uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting race. I mean, some of these little 
I, I put little in air quotes here, but uh, little house races uh, that you, you don't pay much attention to oftentimes get that extra added attention because of the star wattage of people who, hey, may have been a really big deal to you when you were like 14 years old and coming home from school in the 90s and watching television. And, you know, the drama just continues in Congress because this week we've heard of Social Security and the back and forth of of proposed taxes uh, going to an all sales tax. What what are the proposals and what is the talk of Social Security and is Social Security in danger? So there are some Republicans who would love to see the money going into Social Security trim back. And this is all part of kind of a complex and ongoing swirl of discussions about government austerity and balancing the budget the debt ceiling. These are some of the themes that we've heard about that are very serious issues over just the past few days. So, you know, this is a controversial play, even within the Republican Party, to take away money that otherwise would be going to the Social Security program. There is division within the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy and others are saying, hey, this should be on the table. Donald Trump, who, of course, is running for re-election for president again or running for election after losing in 2020, running in 2024, saying, no, we shouldn't touch anything in Social Security. And Social Security remains, bottom line, very popular among Americans, especially Americans who are of a certain age above the age of 50. So that's coming at the same time, too, though, that a lot of Americans, a, a significant minority, are dubious that they're ever going to see any benefit from Social Security, despite the fact that if you're a working person, you're paying into the system week after week, paycheck after paycheck because of the payroll tax. And and this is all kind of up for conversation right now. Look, Social Security, it, the way to affect it, you can either take money from it, you can put money into it, and putting money into it almost is going to invariably involve raising taxes or expanding the payroll tax to income that right now isn't really being touched, which really comes from people who are making a whole lot of money. So expect these to be items of debate, Joe, going forward. But Democrats in particular have effectively no appetite to change any of the benefits that are coming from Social Security. And but yet we still are facing down the prospect that the Social Security trust fund, the the rock and the core of the Social Security program, could be extinguished in the not too terribly distant future, which could be as soon as about a decade from now. And we saw this news of a proposed 23 percent sales tax um, instead of, you know, your annual taxes. Is there any steam behind that or was that just a proposal from a couple of people? Uh, is there steam behind it? No. Uh, the, the debt on arrival. So I don't think there's any serious conversation that's going to be happening around that. Lots of politicians can float different ideas. They can suggest a different way of doing business by having some sort of a national sales tax, whether it's akin to what we see in taxation systems in, in some European countries, for example, or otherwise just seems to be a, a complete non-starter, especially in a divided Congress where the Republicans control the House and the Democrats control the Senate. And Joe Biden, a Democrat, is in the White House for the, the better part of the next two years. We uh, we always hear about potential government shutdowns. And, you know, if they don't agree, the government will shut down. When will we be starting to hear that again? When's the next uh, vote that needs to be uh, taken to keep the government open? 
Well, the government will be staying open for a little while yet, uh, so that that actually isn't the biggest problem that uh, the government and, and Congress or decision that Congress is facing down. The, the bigger one is about the debt ceiling and whether the United States is not going to be able to make good and, and, and basically shake the bedrock of the full faith and trust and credit of the U.S. government for paying bills that it owes. And that's a huge deal. We've gone past a, a key point where we're having to governmentally take what the Treasury Department describes as extraordinary measures in order to make sure that we're continuing to pay bills that the government owes. This is not talking about future debt that the government might incur. This is debt that the government already has incurred and paying those bills to make sure that creditors are getting the money that we said that we were going to pay them at a particular point in time. So if the United States is not authorizing the ability to basically generate debt and, uh, and, and pay the bills that we owe, then that gets into the question of, well, wait, is, is the United States government going to be defaulting on, on financial promises that it's made? And, you know, this may sound very technical and very, you know, filled and replete with legalese, but the, the practical implications would be massive. And, you know, one of the kind of doomsday scenarios is that suddenly everything becomes way more expensive because people aren't trusting the U.S. government's word as they were before. And there are very few governments in the world that are trusted more to at least make good on their debts than the United States, which is why the stakes here, Joe, are so high. You know, I want to uh, just uh, look at Ukraine real quick. Uh, there was some news about the U.S. and uh, it's helping Ukraine. What is what did we learn this week uh, in the U.S. efforts to help Ukraine and their efforts to defeat Russia? Ukraine wants as much as it can get when it comes to military aid, assistance and help. And it's getting that in the form of at least some promises to deliver tanks. And those promises are coming, number one, from Germany for Leopard tanks that they have. It's the, the tanks, primary battle tanks that they use. And the United States in Abrams tanks, which is our primary battle tanks as well. So, okay, that, that appears to be on a fast track to happen. And that's going to allow Ukraine, of course, to better defend itself against the ongoing war that Russia is waging in Ukraine, and a war that is coming on the one-year mark as of late February. So we're, we're almost a year, full year, Joe, into this conflict. Now, Ukraine also, too, is saying, well, look, <laughs> this is not ending anytime soon. We're going to need more, and we're going to need a constant stream of support that is going to allow us to defend ourselves against Russia for however long we have to. And one of the big questions is whether this is going to go beyond tanks. Is it going to go to, for example, fighter jets? And what's going to be the appetite for that? If you look at some of the polls that are recent, Joe, the uh, the American population, it, the, the war effort in Ukraine and the United States support for Ukraine is still relatively popular, but the numbers are dwindling a little bit from where they were around this time, say, spring of last year. So as a result, there, there are questions, and definitely questions that have been raised in Congress, particularly by some Republicans, as to whether this is the best expenditure of U.S. resources and fortune. Ukraine, of course, has made, and including when Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, came to Congress, his, his pitch, his plea has been, this is 
way beyond Ukraine. This is about democracy. And if Ukraine falls and Russia takes over Ukraine or otherwise occupies major portions of Ukraine, well, that's going to bode absolutely terrible, terribly for countries all across the country, not only the United States, but also U.S. allies who are part of NATO, be that the Balkans, Poland, and, and beyond. Uh, just going to give Russia and authoritarianism, Russian style, a not, not just a foothold, but uh, a certain supremacy in that region that it, it won't have if the United States is able to support Ukraine to the way that Ukraine wants to be supported. Now, Dave, it's 2023, right? So 2024 is closer than it gets closer every day, obviously. And uh, the talk of obviously we, we, we talked a little bit about uh, Senate in California with uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein. But you also have for the presidency in 2024. And Donald Trump made a speech last night. Uh, in New Hampshire, he's already announced that he's going to run for president. But, you know, right now I'm looking on uh, your website, Raw Story. First two articles have to do with um, Donald Trump and his uh, his lack of support. You know, Donald Trump's on stage taking aim at Ron DeSantis. Doesn't seem like he has the support that he had three years ago in the Republican Party. Well, the reason those articles are getting written is because the, the, the facts point us there. Donald Trump is not Donald Trump today is not the Donald Trump of 2016 or 2015. And and if you're looking for parallels with his launch of his presidential campaign around eight years ago to where we are today, there there are some and, and there are not others. But Donald Trump is somebody who has a big target on him, politically speaking. There are any of about 10, 12 other Republicans who are preparing or looking to prepare to run against Donald Trump in a Republican primary. So as much as Donald Trump would like to make this about Joe Biden and will continue to do so, Donald Trump is going to have to fight basically his way back to even win the Republican nomination, say nothing of the White House. And, and some of the people who are really close, it, it appears, to launching a presidential campaign within the Republican Party, you've got first and foremost Mike Pence, Donald Trump's former vice president. Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State. You've got Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina. You have Nikki Haley, his former U.N. ambassador, governor of South Carolina, uh, among others. And, of course, the biggest one of all is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who, although not tested on, uh, say, a national stage in the way that Donald Trump has been, is definitely getting the most buzz, the most attention, and, and starting out of the gate would almost certainly be, if not the front runner, right there with Donald Trump as a front runner and somebody who a lot of Republicans find to be a, a wildly attractive candidate that they're interested in learning more about and, and possibly potentially supporting. So all of this is going to mean a very, very difficult and, and fraught 2023 for Donald Trump as he tries to retain the support that he had built up while he was president of the United States and to a, a very notable degree has has lost while other suitors are out there within the Republican Party saying, hey, we love Donald Trump and all, glad he was president, but we need to look forward and we, we need to go in a different direction with a different leader for the Republican Party. It's going to be interesting to follow, Dave. You know, uh, Joe Biden's got two years left in his presidency, but it seems like those two years are going to be uh, a lot of talk about Who's going to run, uh, if it's him, who he's going to run against, or who's going to run for both parties? It's going to be, uh, as always, a very interesting election season that starts 
before it's even election season. The final question I want to ask you is something we've talked about. And, um, uh, you know, you follow politics on a national level. You see all the big political stories. I want to know where this ranks and if there's anything similar you can remember. Uh, There is a a story going on in the city of Buffalo right now about how fluoride was removed from the water in 2015. And no one knew until a few weeks ago, eight years of residents not knowing, members of the Common Council not knowing, uh, can you think of anything that even comes close to this story of lack of communication within uh, a municipality's government? I think the closest you can get are some of the stories about uh, there being not, not what was taken out of the water, but what was put into the water in the form of lead and in cities such as Flint, Michigan and others. And, and lead being such an issue with the, the old ancient pipes that many cities still have. But, but this is something that I, I got to imagine is going to be scandalous for many, many, many months to come and investigations taking place and whatnot. I mean, this has been a a basic public health type of uh, issue and uh, and, and determination that cities have made for decades now. And and yet for this to happen and nobody to know about it and and the government to completely drop the ball in this regard is is fairly monumental. So I I don't know of any other situation. doesn't mean that there haven't been in other cities or towns or villages across the country, but this is definitely in recent memory the the biggest thing of this sort that that I have ever encountered, and i got to imagine that there are a lot of people in the city of Buffalo who are are just scratching their heads wondering how possibly this could have happened. Dave, I know you have a busy day. We, uh, we thank you for taking some time out of that busy day, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again and hearing from you Tuesday at 6.50. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.